Our study this evening will focus on Ruth chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, where the Bible says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarry a little in the house. Now in our last study we were introduced to Boaz, a type of the Lord Jesus. We also saw Ruth as a type of the new Christian and her providential arrival in the field owned by Boaz. Ruth has expressed her faith in God by returning to Israel with Naomi. Even at the urging and encouraging of Naomi, Ruth refused to return to her pagan country of Moab and steadfastly followed Naomi to Israel. Now she is about to meet her kinsman redeemer, Boaz, who is a type of Christ. As I mentioned in our previous study, after Boaz is introduced in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, everything which follows is a series of events by which Ruth is brought into an intimate relationship with Boaz. As I mentioned previously, this is really the process of spiritual growth. As we grow spiritually, we grow in our walk and in our intimacy with the Lord. Now, from the story of Ruth, it is quite apparent that a key factor in the development of the relationship between Ruth and Boaz is the field of Boaz. Had she not happed upon the field of Boaz, they would never have met. Had she not continued to glean there, their relationship would never have grown. So one of the important factors in the development of this relationship between Boaz and Ruth is the field of Boaz. There is really no way to underestimate the importance of this field and the events that followed. Now the field in the Bible can be a symbol of a number of things. For instance, a field in the Bible is often symbolic of the lost people around us or the lost world. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. The fields the Lord was referring to are the multitudes around us that are lost. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 38, we find that the peoples or countries of the world are symbolized by a field. There we read that the field is the world. We also read in Ezekiel chapter 17 and verse 5 that Babylon is symbolized by a field. He took also of the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field. He placed it by great waters and set it as a willow tree. However, in the case before us here in Ruth, it seems to me that the field of Boaz is a picture of the church. I say that because, like the field of Boaz, the church is a critical factor in the development of our relationship with the Lord. For Ruth, the field was critical in the development of her relationship with Boaz. For a believer, the church is crucial in the development of our relationship with the Lord. 
I also say that because Jesus did liken the church to a field in one of his parables. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 and 25 says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. If you don't recall, this parable is about how there will be people in the church who claim to be Christians. Here in the parable, they're called tares, but they are not genuine believers at all. The tares look like wheat, but they are not, in fact, wheat. A lot of people claim to be Christians, and some even look and act very much the part, but they are not genuine born-again followers of Jesus Christ. So here in Ruth, the field is a wonderful picture and type of the church. The field of the earthly Boaz is symbolic of the church of the heavenly Boaz. As I stated, this field was a very important factor in the development of the relationship between Boaz and Ruth. And the same is true in our Christian life and spiritual growth. The church is a very important factor in our relationship with Christ. You can go to a good church and not be a Christian, but you cannot be a good Christian and not go to church. Let me repeat that. You can go to a good church and not be a Christian, but you cannot be a good Christian and not go to church. Is it possible to be saved and out of church? Sure. But you are not a good Christian if that is the case. You may be saved, but you are not a good Christian. Furthermore, you are out of God's will and therefore not enjoying the full measure of His blessings. Third, you are not growing spiritually as you should be. On top of that, you are not fruitful and spiritually prosperous as you should be. Fifth, because you are out of God's will and therefore disobedient, your prayers are hindered and you can't expect God's help. And lastly, if you are a saved Christian and not in church, lastly, you will be a very unhappy Christian. The Lord's church is essential in developing and maintaining a relationship with Jesus Christ. With that in mind, let's glean some truths about the church from this field of Boaz. First, think with me of the Lord's presence in his church. We read in Ruth chapter 2, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So we see Boaz visiting his field. Boaz was present in the field. I'm reminded that the Lord is present in his church. We read in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, Under the angel of the church at Ephesus write these sayings, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. In the words of our Lord spoken here to John, the stars are representative of the pastors and the candlesticks are representative of the churches. He tells John that he walks in the midst of the candlesticks. In other words, the Lord is present in his churches. We also read in Matthew 18, verse 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Wherever and whenever God's people gather, the Lord is in the midst. He is present with them. A number of years ago, a pastor in Washington, D.C. that pastored the church that the president attended occasionally would receive a call on Saturday afternoon. The caller would ask, will the president be in the services tomorrow? 
The pastor would always reply, that I don't know, but the Lord will be here. As a pastor, my heart is filled with pleasure over the folks who attend the services. But my heart is filled with perplexity over those who are absent. Yet regardless of who is present and who is absent, my heart is filled with praise that the Lord is present. So as we think of the Lord's presence in His church, first, think with me of the Lord's personal presence in the church. We see Boaz coming to his field. He is paying a personal visit to his field, much to the delight of those in the field. I know the Lord is always present when believers assemble, but there are times we are not aware or conscious of His presence. But how sweet it is when we are keenly aware of His presence. In the Blue Ridge region of the South, there was a popular saying for a service where the Lord's presence was powerfully felt. The people often said, the Lord showed up today. When everybody's heart is right and everybody is right with one another, and when everybody is focused solely on the Lord, the Lord's presence permeates His church. Oh, He is always present when His people gather but I like it when He shows up and pays us a visit that is powerfully recognized. Astronaut James Irwin said, My trip to the moon was a spiritual awakening in which I was brought to a realization of my dependence upon God and my relationship to Jesus Christ. The only thing I was not prepared for on the moon was that I could feel God's presence closer than I had ever felt before. There are times when we gather, and like James Irwin, we can say that we feel God's presence closer than we've ever felt it before. Oh, those blessed moments. How sweet and special are those times when His presence is so real in His church that it passes description. How glorious it is when He pays a visit to His field. I also think of the Lord's perpetual presence over the church. In the case of Boaz, it is doubtful that he spent every hour of the day in his field. It is probable that he only occasionally visited his field. Yet even though he was not there in person, he was there all the time in a representative. We read in verse 5, Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers. Boaz had someone over the field that acted in and on his behalf. In this servant... The will, plans, and desires of Boaz were carried out on a continual and daily basis. In this servant, Boaz was always present. If you will notice carefully, this servant in Ruth is unnamed. In the Bible, there are several unnamed servants. For instance, there was the unnamed servant of Abraham that went in search of a bride for Isaac. There was the unnamed servant of Joseph that was sent to bring the brethren home. In this case, there is the unnamed servant that watched over Boaz's field and the reapers. These unnamed servants in the Bible are often a type of the Holy Spirit. They are unnamed in that the Holy Spirit seeks not to draw attention to Himself, but to the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the unseen guest of every service. He is the unseen guide of every service. He is the unseen guard of every service. He is the unseen gift of every service. Jesus is always present in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Remember that scene in Revelation chapter 2 and the candlesticks that represented the church? 
Revelation 2.1, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The Greek word translated candlestick really refers to a lampstand that was filled with oil that was used to burn and produce the light. And you guessed it, oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Jesus was present in His church and the Holy Spirit was perpetually present as well. There is a sense in which the Holy Spirit as steward of the church is the Lord of the church. He is the life of the church. He is the leader of the church. He is the source of the light of the church. He is the source of the love of the church. The Holy Spirit is the one that Jesus has set over the church. He has set the Spirit over the church to capture the attention, to control the activity, to complete the assignment, to conduct the affairs, to certify the accomplishments, to conform the attendance, and cause the additions to the church. The Lord is present in His church, and so too is the unnamed servant, the Holy Spirit. The Lord is not seen, but He is sensed. He is not visible to the eye, but He is vocal to the heart. You cannot walk up to Him and shake His hand, but He can come to you and stir your heart. You cannot touch Him, but He can touch you. He is always present. Thank God for the Lord's presence in His church. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who superintends the work in His field, the church. Secondly, think with me of the Lord's people at His church. In Ruth chapter 2, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, reference is made to the reapers. These reapers are a type of the Lord's people in His church. As we look at these reapers, we find that they were an assembled people. These reapers are gathered together in Boaz's field. A person, a place, and a purpose had brought them together. The church is where God's people gather, congregate, and assemble. We're exhorted and commanded in Hebrews 10.25 to forsake not the assembling of yourselves. The plan of God is for the people of God to be in the place of God, His church. Now think with me for a moment. These were the reapers of Boaz. Would it have been proper for them to have been in another field? Would it be normal for the reapers not to be in the field? I can imagine a reaper calling the servant that was over the field. I know I'm supposed to be in the field today, but if it will be all right, instead of being in Boaz's field, I'll be at the ball field. Now, I'm sure the servant would say, yes, that's fine. Don't worry about your work and your job. You have a good time. I hope you can get back real soon. God bless you. Look, God's plan is God's plan, and His plan is for God's people to be in church. There is never a lack of excuses for not following God's plan. Saul did not follow God's plan because he had a better idea. Samson did not follow God's plan because he thought he knew better. And there never seems to be a shortage of excuses when it comes to church attendance. I think of a church in Michigan that had a no-excuse Sunday. Their advertisement in the paper read, Please join us next Sunday for church. We're going to make it possible for everyone to attend church next Sunday by having no-excuse Sunday. Costs will be placed in the vestibule for those who say Sunday is my only day of rest. Steel helmets will be there for those who say the church will cave in if I ever come. 
Blankets will be furnished for those who say the church is cold and fans for those who think it is hot. We will have hearing aids for those who think the pastor preaches too softly and cotton for those who think he preaches too loudly. Scorecards will be available for those who wish to list the hypocrites who are present. Some relatives will be there for those who like to go visiting on Sundays. There will be TV dinners for those who cannot go to church and cook Sunday dinner too. One section will be devoted to trees and grass for those who like to worship God outdoors. Finally, the sanctuary will be decorated with both Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who have never seen the church without them. You know, we ought to feel about church attendance the way Oliver Wendell Holmes did when he said, There is a plant in the corner of my heart called reverence, and it needs watering at least once a week. I like Ruth's example recorded in Ruth chapter 2, verse 7. There we read, So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. She came to the field and did not want to leave. We also see that these reapers were an appreciative people. We read in verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. It is very obvious that Boaz and his reapers had a good relationship. His greeting, the Lord be with you, was both a salutation and a prayer. It was a Jewish expression that spoke of all that happy and holy hearts wished for and needed. Boaz expressed his kindness and loved him, and they in return expressed their love and appreciation to him. They responded, the Lord bless thee. That was an expression of their appreciation for His kindness to them. The church is a place where God's people are gathered and God's praise is given. The Lord has been good to all of us and in return we should give Him thanks and praise. When we assemble, we ought to come with gratitude in our hearts and glory on our lips. Since He has blessed our life, we ought to bless His name. A church service is not a place where we are restrained from praise but released to praise. May the Lord be praised in His church, in this church. Rudyard Kipling was a great British poet whose writings have touched generation after generation. Because of the success of his writings, he made a great deal of money at his trade. One day, he was approached by a newspaper reporter that said to him, Mr. Kipling, I just read that somebody calculated that the money you make from your writing amounts to over $100 a word. Kipling raised his eyebrows and said, Really? I wasn't aware of that. The reporter cynically reached into his pocket and pulled out a $100 bill and handed it to Kipling, saying, Now give me one of your $100 words. Kipling looked at the $100 bill for a moment, folded it up, and put it in his pocket. Then he said, Thanks. May I say that the word thanks is a word that we should use when we come to church. God has given us far more than a $100 bill, and the biggest word we can respond with is thanks. After all the Lord has done for us, after all He has given us, He deserves our praise and gratitude. We also see that these reapers were an active people. In Ruth chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, the servants of Boaz are called reapers four times. They were workers in his field. They were not idle but involved. They were active for their master. 
When it comes to work in the church, many are shirkers instead of worker. Someone has said that the theme song of many members is, I shall not be moved. I once read about a pastor who was very rigid about keeping an appointment at 10 a.m. each and every morning. If he was in a meeting, he would excuse himself, get into his car, and leave. No one knew what he was doing or where he was going. His secretary did not know. His wife did not know. His best friends did not know. Since this aroused the suspicions of his members and deacons, they decided to investigate. They followed him one day to a place just outside of town. They watched him as he parked his car and entered a patch of woods. When they caught up to him, he was standing by a railroad track. He was shouting and cheering to the top of his lungs and pumping his fist into the air at a passing train. When the train had passed, his deacons walked up to him and asked, What on earth are you doing, preacher? He answered, I can't help it. I just get excited when I see something moving, and I'm not the one pushing it. As one has said, it seems our churches are full of willing people, some who are willing to work and others who are willing to let them work. Are you one of the Lord's people? Then I ask you, are you attending the house of God faithfully? Are you appreciative of the blessings of God personally? Are you active in the work of God diligently? Thirdly, think with me of the Lord's perception of His church. Notice verse 5 in Ruth chapter 2 where it says, Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? No sooner did Boaz walk into his field than he noticed Ruth. It is obvious that he knew everyone in the field and was aware that a new person was gleaning in the field. Boaz's notice of Ruth reminds us that the Lord is discerning of us. He saw her. She was not lost in the crowd. There was more than just a group of people in the field. There were individuals of whom Boaz was aware and who he knew. How it thrills my heart to know that the Lord knows His own. When we gather, we are more than a group. We are individuals that our Lord knows and observes. The Lord sees and knows each of us. He knows you. He knows me. Listen to our Lord's words in John 10.27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And in John 10.3, And the sheep hear His voice, and He calleth His sheep by name. The Lord knows your name. He knows your needs. He knows what you are going through at every moment. He knows the burdens of your heart. There is not one of you that are unnoticed by the Lord. You may at times feel lost in a crowd, but the Lord sees you personally. You are not just a number to Him. There is never a moment that He is not watching. Such a realization can be a convicting thought, or it can be a comforting thought. Boaz's notice of Ruth also reminds us that the Lord is drawn to us. Boaz asked in verse number 5, Whose damsel is this? Boaz's use of the word damsel is probably an indication that he is immediately smitten with Ruth. Damsel was a term that was usually used to describe a married woman. So Boaz was asking, whose wife is she? Think about it for a moment. Why do men ask women, are you dating anyone? Because they hope the answer is no, because they want to date them. 
Or maybe you prefer J. Vernon McGee's translation of this statement. He says that Boaz was really saying, or at least thinking, well, where in the world has she been that I haven't met her before? The best way I know how to describe this scene would be love at first sight. She not only caught his eye, but won his heart. Oh, how blessed is the thought to know that not only does the Lord see us, but is also graciously drawn to us and gloriously in love with us. Psychologists tell us that one great need of every human heart is to feel love. Quite often, people feel unloved. A wife feels that her husband doesn't love her anymore. A child feels unloved. Yet I can assure you of God's love for you. Whoever you are, whatever you're going through, whenever you are in need, wherever you are at, you are loved by God. Ephesians 2.4 says, But God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. Many are going around plucking daisy. He loves me, He loves me not. When good things happen, we say He loves me. When bad things happen, we say He loves me not. We must never forget that the answer is always, He loves me. Do you know His love? Have you experienced His great love? Do you want a taste of His marvelous love? The Bible says in Romans 5, 4, that the love of God is shed abroad on our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. If you do not know this love, this love of God, it may be because you have never really been saved. When a person trusts Christ and is born again by the Spirit of God, that same Spirit then fills our heart with God's love. The Holy Spirit manifests that love to us and makes it real to us. Can you say with absolute certainty that you have been saved, that you have been born again? If not, then why do you delay any longer? Make this the moment that you come to Him. Make this the moment that you taste and see that the Lord is good. 